Welcome to In the Stacks, brought to you by the Lewistown Public Library in Lewistown, Montana, a podcast about the wide and wild world of libraries. Every summer, public libraries around the country, including our own, put on a summer reading program meant to excite patrons of every age about all the things the library has to offer and provides programs and activities and field trips and theme story times and special guests and community engagement. It is really the library to the nth degree, all out for six weeks in the summertime. It's like Christmas in June here at the library. Each year, our summer reading program has a specific theme that all its requisite events are focused around. And this year, our theme is Tales and Tales. T-A-I-L-S, like the tale you wag, and T-A-L-E-S, like the tale you tell. So, this year we are all about animals and stories about them. We have a whole slew of exciting programs planned for this year, so stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear more details about this year's summer reading program. We thought to get us in the theme and thinking about animals, we would focus our episode today on the animals of central Montana and the people that get to work with them. We interviewed several individuals from various walks of life and career paths about their experiences working with all sorts of animals in a variety of capacities, from ranching to biology to veterinary work and the intersection between humans and wildlife. We asked them about what influenced them to pursue a career working with animals and what makes Central Montana a unique and interesting ecosystem in which to encounter wildlife, as well as their funniest, wildest animal stories, their tales about tales. We even got some hot takes from our kids on their awesome pets. So without further ado, enjoy this episode of In the Stacks, Tales and Tales. So this is Danny, and I am here with Callum. Callum, how old are you? Four. Four, yeah. And then who am I? Mommy. Mommy. And what are we doing? I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're going to get to hear a story about our dog, Una. So Callum, can you tell us an interesting story about Una? She puked in your bedroom? Oh my goodness, what was that like? It was smelly. It was smelly, yeah. It what? was so stinky, Addie. I got all of my bed into the living room and outside. Oh my goodness, what did you do? I washed it off with a cleaner. You washed it off? Oh, you washed it off on your own? Hmm, that's not how I remember it. Is there any other funny stories about Una? Una broke her leg once we went to the, the, the frog pants. Oh, what happened? She broke her leg. How did she break her leg? I don't know. I didn't see her. Oh, we didn't see her? Sticks. 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 That other voice is Nels. Nels, do you remember what happened? Well, she ran into the sticks hunting a deer, gone into the road, and hurt her leg. Oh, my gosh. Where were we? At the frog ponds? And then did she have to go to the vet? Yes, of course. Of course. Do you remember, was there anything silly that was kind of around her neck for a while? A cone. <laughs> she had to wear a cone, didn't she? Yeah. She did not like it. She didn't, I bet not. Hey, Nels, what's your favorite thing about Una? Oh, she's black and white. I like her neck with black spots. She does have spots, too. Callum, what's your favorite thing about Una? Her claws. Her claws? I like that she's cute. Oh, you like that she's cute? 
Dad, why you to play that soccer game? <laughs> and on that note, I think we're done. All right. So joining us today for our Tales and Tales themed podcast, Mariah Shamel. Thank you for joining me, Mariah. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, yeah. So the theme of this episode is Tales and Tales. Um, for sure. So tell me a little first about your upbringing. So where did you grow up and kind of what influence do you think that had on, on your future? Sure. So I actually was born in Richland, Washington, and we actually ended up moving to Germany when I was two. We spent oh, wow. a few years over there, and then and I was the youngest of three kids. And then we came back, and we found ourselves in the suburbs of Minneapolis. Okay. And we actually stayed there until I was like a freshman in high school, and the rest of my family, my grandparents and all of our family um, lived in Montana. And that's where both my parents were from. And so we ended up moving back to Montana then. And so I was in Billings then. That's where I graduated from high school. I'm from Billings too. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Yep. I grew up there. Anyways. And so we, I went to Skyview, graduated from there. And, um, and then I went to MSU Bozeman is where I graduated with a um, actually an animal science degree and a minor in ag business. So growing up, I always wanted to be a vet like every other girl in the entire world. And so that's what I started out doing with my degree. And then I quickly learned that I wasn't sure I wanted to dedicate my whole life to that. <laughs> so yeah. I switched it and did more of the business side of things with that. But um, my uncle lived, ranched outside of Hardin. And so I would spend all my summers always helping him and doing all that kind of stuff, helping with calving. And I always just loved the lifestyle. I just ended up, I met my husband when I was a freshman in college and he was a junior. We just kind of ended up getting together and that's how I ended up here. We got married and we're back on his family place up here in Hilder and we are raising the fifth generation to be in this house and on these hills. But how did you come into ranching and end up in, uh, in Hilder in central Montana? Sure. So I, when I was in college and I met my husband, um, Lyle, um, he graduated and then I ended up working for the Montana Farm Bureau Federation out of Bozeman and I was a regional manager for them. And so I would travel around to all of the counties in Eastern Montana and Fergus County was on my Western border of my area. And so I happened to be up here um, for a meeting and I ran into Lyle again and it was like seven years later, I think. Yeah. And um, we ended up, we went we ended up getting married from there, but that's how I ended up on the place is just. Um, I ended up quitting my job and just being a full-time rancher, really, I guess. I just wanted to be able to help on the place as much as possible. And so that's how I ended up on the ranch is just marrying into it like that. Okay. Um, um, how long has how his family had that land out there? So the Shamels moved here in the forties. I want to say 1942, maybe. And actually where we live is the original, the Ferguses of Fergus County. It was their sheep ranch. Oh, wow. So yeah. So our place is super old. Our house was built in like 1906 and we still live in it and we're still adding on to it and doing everything else <laughs> with four kids. It takes a lot to do that, but yeah. Um, but yeah, it has a really cool history out here and we just love being out here. All right. So you mentioned the four kids, the fifth generation of shamels um yes. so you're a mom you're a rancher you do you write you do all of these things so what does i know there's probably not a typical day <laughs> i know that as a parent as well there's no uniform day in <laughs> your life ever but what would kind of a stereotypical day in the life of mariah look like Usually Lyle is down checking cows. We ranch with his parents as well, which I should mention, and they live about three miles down the road. And that's where we calve the cows at, out at. And so he's usually down there doing that kind of stuff. And I usually throw the kids in a side-by-side um, -side, or a jungle buggy as we call it. And we'll go out and check all the calves and make sure that all the ones that have been born and are out with their moms, everyone's healthy and happy and have all the stuff they need and the moms are happy and they've recovered from giving birth and all that kind of stuff. So we usually spend a couple hours each day doing that. And then we also just have other chores that we have to do in the morning. The kids and I do, we usually have heifers, which is young 
female cows. They have not had a calf yet, but they don't have, they're not on their mom still. So they're about a year old mm -hmm. and we have them here near our house. So we'll go feed them. We've got horses that we have to grain each morning. We have to pitch the hay into a couple to those heifers too. Um, so we just do that in the morning. And then depending on what's going on, I'll get Ben to preschool and go pick up the kids from school, come home and kind of do it all over again. That's, and that's on a typical day during calving. Um, but it just differs by the season. The kids have to come along with us a lot. <laughs> Our kids are very versatile. They're used to, when we pick them up in the bus saying, hurry up and sit down, get your seatbelt on. We've got a cow calving, we need to go check or something. Daddy needs help hauling cows or something. But um, it's a great lifestyle. We always have the kids with us. We can do it all together. Um, yeah, it's just great out here. It's just a great way to live. Hard work, but hard, but great. I think that's awesome having the kids right in there in that experience with you. I'm sure they learn so much and just like, it's an adventure for, it's a lifestyle, but it's also an adventure for them. It too. really is. Every day is an adventure. And honestly, crazy stuff happens all the time and you just have to roll with it. But my nieces and nephews were actually visiting a couple weeks ago and I overheard the, our kids telling them how to, what you look for when you're looking for a sick calf. And it was, just, <laughs> it was really cool to listen to. But I was like, oh, they do it. Like just, it was crazy how much they do pay attention and how much they yeah. do pick up even at a really young age. Okay, so tell me a little bit about the Montana ranchers and yes. um, kind of the philosophy behind what you guys do with that. Sure. So a lot of producers like us um, kind of direct sell their product, weaning. We, I sell beef to people around Lewistown. And so for ever since I've been around, so we've been married about 12 years, I have just kind of sold um, quarters of beef here and there to people that just want local, um, local meat. And we do grass-fed meat and we also, we don't give them any added hormones. And I've always run into other people around town that kind of do the same thing. And one of them was Abby Majerus. And every time we ran into each other at a social function or an ag meeting that was going on, we always talked about how we both sold meat and we almost had the same market, but we always thought we should join forces and just never knew how to do it. Then Jesse Olson approached me um, talking, asking about how she could kind of get involved and what she should be doing to also sell beef like we do. And so the three of us were like, well, we should just join forces, make things more efficient. We don't have to do all the marketing separately. We can do it all together. And so that's what we did. We created this business called Montana Ranch Hers. Hers is capitalized because obviously it's an all woman owned business mm -hmm. and we each um, own and operate our own family ranches and we supply meat from all, beef animals from all three of our ranches to our business. And then we work directly with the customers to get them the cuts they want. So whatever kind of steaks they're looking for, um, the quantity they want, whether it's a whole quarter or a half, or even we do little boxed um, boxes with 10 to 20 pounds of a piece in them. Um, so we just try to work with customers to cater to what they need because we think it's important that everybody knows exactly where their food comes from, who's making it and what's in it. And we can give them all those answers and give them a product that we love and stand by. And it's been so fun to be able to do this with two other ladies who have the same ideals. I love that whole mission of like supporting local, like supporting other local businesses and your outlook on like maintaining sustainable ranching practices and really putting that like individualized care into raising livestock. I really like all of that. Yeah, we're all about that kind of stuff. So it's perfect. Yeah. Do you find that in central Montana that attitude's pretty pervasive as far as, you know, the sustainable ranching practices and really like supporting local business, trying to stay as local as you can? Do you, do you feel like that's something that's well supported here? I do for the most part. Most people I feel like do, they just like supporting the local and the whole regenerative ag thing is, is huge right now. And most people are kind of moving toward that, which we've always tried to do it, but just the way things work out, sometimes it's hard to do with the industry, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, I feel like they are really supportive of that and it's great to see and hopefully it continues. Do you have any, any funny or interesting or crazy stories about working with cattle? that you think people would find entertaining? The cool thing is that we actually have, um, when I said that we work with our heifers, we give our heifers 
grain every morning. And so we get a really hands-on approach to our heifers. And so as they become moms, they are still friendly and like they'll see me coming with cake, which is essentially cow treats and they'll come running. Um, and it's just so funny because they each have their own personality kind of. And so most of my cows are named and our kids, kids have their cows that are named. And so it's just funny going through all the personalities and stuff, but probably my favorite cow, um, her name is Miss Piggy for obvious reasons. She will like (laughs) run across anybody to get to her treats. And she actually just had a calf. And so it's so funny because that's like, she always looks at the calf, like, uh, I should probably stay with it, but then she wants to come to you and she's just funny and she's huge. My daughter has a cow named Mabel and no matter how much she works with it, she just does not want, that calf does not want to really have much to do with us. She'll get close to us, but she's just like, no, I'm fine with my friends. I don't need to come (laughs) be with humans. Calving always brings up funny things because they'll a lot of them will have their calf and it'll be halfway out and they're just walking around eating food still as it's like the calf is pretty much walking its front legs on the ground trying to get out. Oh my gosh. And That's the cow wild. just like continues eating her hay and doesn't seem bothered by it in the slightest. Is there anything funny that like the kids have done or said like when you're out with the cows or anything like that? Oh my goodness. I always Our love kids, kids stories. <laughs> yes. They are constantly saying the funniest things and yeah, they just are always making funny comments. They name all their cows. They've got the craziest names for them. What's your um, favorite name they've come up with? Coulter has one named Brainless because he just <laughs> felt like she was, like, no matter what you did, she was just, like, doing her own thing and was just kind of on her own all the time. And she just seemed a little bit, a little bit out of it. So he's got Brainless. Um, ben has, he always has boy names but he thinks but he they're girl cows so he just puts an e on the end to make them a girl name oh bob bobby he wanted to name it bob but it's a girl so it's bobby oh cute <laughs> so and each of our um kids get a calf when they are five years old and then they can go with it from there if they have girl cows out of that one then they can save them and grow their herd if they have boy cows then they can sell them and put money in their college fund it's kind of up to them how they want to do that so yeah such so, a cool um, a cool experience for your kids my in-laws did that with my um husband and his sisters and so they've carried that through with our kids so they they give them the initial heifer and then we the the rest of that comes comes from us um but it's a good way for them to kind of start getting business minded a little bit. And we give them the option. They can either put money aside or keep it, or they can sell heifers. I mean, it's kind of up to them, obviously, to give them guidance when they ask for it and when they need some help with that. But, but yeah, it just kind of opens up a lot of things for them. All right. So this is Danny, and I am here with Matt Comer. And Matt Comer, can you tell us what your job is? Sure. I am currently a wildlife biologist with the Bureau of Land Management nice. in Lewistown, Montana. How long have you gotten to do that? Uh, I've been a wildlife biologist for almost 20 years. I've been with the BLM in Lewistown for the last 11. I was with the Forest Service in Leadville, Colorado before I came up to Lewistown. Fascinating. Matt, where did you grow up? I grew up in rural North Carolina. So okay. Long ways from here, but middle of the state lengthwise and right on the Virginia border. Okay, that's fascinating. What's the town called? Uh, Pumpkin Center. Are you serious? I am, but... The, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Town, the closest bigger town was Reedsville. Whenever we could, we had a, a tarp at the beach that said Pumpkin, Pumpkin Center Swim Club. <laughs> so what influences have you had in your life uh, kind of to bring you to a career with animals? What what was the driving factor there? I think a lot of it was the rural upbringing and just really enjoying being outside. And mm-hmm. I would be willing to bet that most wildlife biologists thought that they were going to work with lots of wildlife. And that's mm-hmm. why they went to school for that. In school, they tell you that wildlife management is people management. And <laughs> <laughs> And I that like is that. so true and I accurate. Like that. So true and accurate. So they pop that, burst that bubble pretty quickly. <laughs> so and you the kind of. The longer that you're in it, and the, the higher up you get, the more you work with people. <laughs> you just you just keep working with people. Um, so you kind of told us at the beginning kind of how you maybe ended up in central Montana. Like what brought you to this area of the world if you are 
have been in so many different other parts of this wonderful nation? Uh, it was very fortunate and lucky. Uh, wound up coming to Montana on a whim, pointed at a map uh, <laughs> when I was in college for a student exchange and it wound up being Bozeman. That's where I met my wife, ultimately. We wanted to be in the West. Uh, one of my first jobs, uh, permanent jobs was Kalispell, Montana. And we came over here antelope hunting and always loved the area. So we had a eye to get back to Montana at some point. So enough to, to get back to BLM and wildlife here in Lewistown. But you kind of came to the school here and then you went up north and got to be in that part of Montana, which, you know, a lot of people would argue is a little bit different than out here. What does kind of a day in the life of Matt look like as a wildlife biologist? The good days are awesome. Just like this morning, we got up at the crack of dawn to be able to go to a sage grouse and shark grouse lex to count how many were out there so that we can get an idea of what the population is doing. Uh, like geographically, where were you this morning? Well, shark tails can be just right around Lewistown and sage grouse. Most of them are east or north of Lewistown. Okay, okay. Within half an hour to an hour of Lewistown, you've got all of those. Uh, it's the end of the day right now since we got up at 3.30. <laughs> um, so, so is that like the paperwork time? That's the paperwork time. And, you know, a lot of it is meeting with other people and seeing what other folks are interested in doing. Um, mm -hmm. With the BLM, we're a multiple-use agency, so it's not just about wildlife or just about recreation or just about um, ranching or grazing. It's all of those things. So whenever somebody proposes a project, we look and see what the impacts are going to be to the other things and try to make it beneficial or as least impactful as we can. So that's kind of my job in a nutshell. Um, so a lot of it's meeting with either other staff here or other private individuals or other agencies just to iron out and try to come to the best agreement of what we can. So you're more like a negotiations specialist. <laughs> you get to, you get to yeah, you. people <laughs> management. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, do you have, since you get to interact with wildlife and probably domesticated animals, animals in this area, do you have any interesting or funny or noteworthy stories about working with animals? Got to think about what the best one may be that's a little different <laughs> folks around here. One that's a little different that people probably haven't heard of. This is from a, a way back east story. Um, one time we were going through doing Bob White quail surveys on the coast of North Carolina. And mm -hmm. the farms there are big. I mean, most of the time you think stuff out here is big and it's on the same scale. Some of these are 10,000 acre plus farms. But rural North Carolina, we're out there um, looking for quail and there's a couple of guys with dogs and handling them and one of the people in our group had never seen a, a covey rise a group of quail get up at the same time there similar to the gray partridge around here so they were going to show them a treat and have a covey rise and that dog is locked on point and the handler walks up there and he's going to kick out the birds to show this impressive display well he goes up there and kicks in the grass and he winds up kicking a red wolf right in the rear end <laughs> are you serious What's oh, a red yeah. wolf? Similar to a gray wolf, but over on the East Coast. And <laughs> a little bit of a oh my gosh, what happened? Yeah, so that red wolf takes off and he jumps back. Oh, what is this? <laughs> that is not what I expected in this moment. So he got a rude awakening. No birds, just a red wolf coming out of the patch of grass. That is one heck of a quail. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that's fascinating. And it's super fun to hear about uh, different species. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Sure. Uh, well, one of the things, the main things that BLM does too is manage the habitats. We work with the <laughs> state to manage the animals and the habitat. So that's the key is knowing what the animals need and then doing the best we can to, to provide that for them. So we're hoping that folks can get out and enjoy their public lands as much as possible. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. This is Danny again, and I am here with Katie Beattie. Um, she works with the APR, and I want to know what your specific job title is. So I am the Wild Sky Specialist for American Prairie Reserve. Katie, where did you grow up, and kind of what are those influences you've had in your life that maybe steered you towards a career with animals? 
Yeah, I grew up in um, North Dakota in Fargo, but I grew up there and we would um, travel a lot out west um, <laughs> into the Badlands and Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Um, so I grew up just kind of seeing those iconic prairie species, the bison and the prairie dogs and having a lot of fun when I was younger doing that. And then That's my grandpa um, lives on the Missouri River in, in Mandan. So we do a lot of fishing and swimming out that way. Wow. That's awesome. It's really fun. Um, the development of tourism and the idea of encountering wild spaces is definitely growing and mm -hmm. expanding and including kind of what traditionally, at least in my mindset, wasn't a part of that visiting of a wild space. And it's now starting to include that kind of prairie aspect of, of wild spaces. And it's fun to hear that you realized that earlier in life and encountered those cool prairie and badland environments early. I mean, I moved out to Montana with the intention of, I want to see mountains and something different. <laughs> I just got drawn back to kind of that familiar, familiar place, which is the prairie for me. So how did you end up in central Montana specifically? So I finished my undergrad in Billings at Rocky Mountain College. And I had taken jobs um, in the area. So I had worked in Malta and I had done some work on Fort Belknap. Mm -hmm. And luckily, the man that I married was <laughs> in Lewistown, so it was really easy. Uh, Katie's husband works with my husband at FWP oh, with fish, and they are currently out in the wilds catching fish or doing something with some kind of tag telemetry. I don't know. And so it was really easy for, for us to just make the decision to settle down here. We mm -hmm. love Lewistown and central Montana. You said you were a part of that Wild Sky program. What does kind of a day in the life of Katie look like? Yeah, so I, when I'm doing field work, I'll go out to one of the properties that's enrolled in our program and um, check in with the ranchers, see what kind of projects they're working on. A lot of them are doing really cool conservation work, and it's mm -hmm. just neat to see the, the stuff they're doing. A lot of them are converting um, fences to wildlife-friendly fences. Um, and then I go out and we've got cameras deployed on most of the properties because most of them have also enrolled in our cameras for conservation program. So we have those that I go and check um, and that can be hiking in, driving in, snowshoeing in, it just kind of depends <laughs> on the season and where the cameras are located. Mm -hmm. Both of them are pretty remote, so it usually takes me a half day or a full day um, to get out to them. And then I come home and upload the images and sort through the photos to see what's been moving around on the landscape. Isn't that cool? You get to work in this intersection between domestic and wild uh, mm -hmm. animals. And that's, that's a really cool place to be, I think. Um, do, you, do you interact mostly with like cattle and domesticated animals or, or is it truly like a smattering of both? It's definitely a mix of both. Um, it's pretty interesting to have the cameras running year round because you kind of see what animals are overlapping in pastures that the cattle are in and then the cattle get moved from that pasture to a different one and you see different species come start using that pasture for different things and it's just it's really neat. Do you see charismatic megafauna something like uh mountain lions or maybe even elk or, or larger animals on those? Or is it primarily like those smaller coyote and uh, kind of raccoon style animals on those cameras? Do you kind of see everything? We definitely see everything. We've got um, ranches that are enrolled all the way from Big Timber up to um, Fort Belknap and out in Grass Range. Um, in the Judith Mountains, we've got a rancher. So it, it's definitely a mix of, of some of the smaller animals, the coyotes and the foxes, and then the cameras that we have that are in more of the mountain terrain. We definitely pick up mountain lions and black bears regularly. Mm -hmm. Isn't that cool? So what about central Montana makes it kind of the perfect place to do this type of thing, to do the connection and the work that you do? Yeah, I love it. And so Central Montana is great because it's actually a really large intact grassland ecosystem and those are just generally underprotected, kind of on a global scale so we're really lucky with what we have kind of in our, our backyard here mm -hmm. and it, 
it's great the work that I do. I love being able to connect with the landowners um, and kind of what they're doing that intersects with conservation. Since you get to interact with animals kind of all over the the space, both, you know, wild and domestic, do you have any uh, noteworthy or interesting stories about working with animals that you'd like to share uh, for this little podcast of tales about tales? You know, working with camera traps has really been eye-opening because you have these cameras that are running 24-7, kind of monitoring a landscape, and it's Mm -hmm. always exciting to hike into one and kind of wonder um, what has followed that same trail that you're walking on. And we've gotten some some really cool photos and video footage. I had one where a black bear, I was so excited because he kept coming past the same camera. So I decided to set up a, a video camera to get mm-hmm. some footage of him. And within a day of the camera being set up, he actually pulled it off the tree and sat and tossed it around and played it for like 10 minutes, which was great. It was awesome, awesome video footage. Really neat pictures of, of mountain lions and actually a white-tailed doe um, giving birth. We've gotten pictures of just all of these really intimate kind of secret moments that you wouldn't know about if the cameras weren't out there. That's fascinating. Well, thanks, Katie, for for joining us and having a couple minutes to share uh, kind of the inside details to what you do and how you work with animals in central Montana. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, hello, everyone. This is Danny, and I am here with Whitney Brady. Uh, Whitney Brady uh, gets to run, own, and manage the Lewistown Veterinary Service here in Lewistown. Hello, Whitney. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am living the dream. So just a couple things to let everybody know who you are, although many probably already do. Uh, Where did you grow up? That's a tough one. And then (laughs) what kind of influences have you had in your life to kind of push you towards a career with animals? Well, I grew up in Lewistown. Uh, Shocker. Yep. <laughs> yep. Shocker. Um, came back here. Um, and I think what has influenced me probably the most to want to work with animals is that I grew up on a, a cattle ranch mm-hmm. south of town and was really involved in that from a, a really young age. I used to actually um, kind of throw a fit when I was a little, little kid all the way to town and if I threw a big enough fit before we hit my grandma's house I could stay home and help my dad work house um so I figured that out pretty quick um so and then I got older and hopefully became slightly more helpful so probably the ranch work and then just, <laughs> I like that slightly more helpful at the end of the day. slightly yeah yeah so I think I think mostly the ranch and then just really liking to be outside which um depending on what line of you know, veterinary work you're doing, there's a lot of opportunity to be outside, which I Mm -hmm. like to do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. So you alluded to this, you, you are born and raised in Lewistown, Montana. Um, but how did you end up back in central Montana? Not too long after college, I got married and we lived in Washington for about a year and then had an opportunity to buy Lewistown vet service. And so we went ahead and, and decided to move back. So I, I think it happened sooner than I had maybe planned, but we were really, um, we felt really fortunate to have an opportunity like that. Mm-hmm. And my family had used Lewistown Veterinary Service since it opened in 1955. Um, my, <laughs> my grandpa came here. So Isn't that so fun? Oh my yeah. gosh. It's like a legacy. It's awesome. Yeah. So it was really fun to like come back to this place that I had grown up coming in and out of. Um, as a kid. So I was happy to come back to Lewistown, planned on it. It happened sooner than I maybe thought it would with a good opportunity for a job um, for my husband and I. And so, yeah, we feel, we feel really lucky. What is, what is a day in the life, in the life of Whitney? Like, what's (laughs) it like uh, working in a veterinary service kind of profession? Well, it, it's sort of like uh, being around young kids or you know, there's a lot of wild <laughs> times. Um, but when I'm at work here, I um, the, there's a lot of diversity in our day. You know, it's fun. We, you know, some days are some days are quiet and some days are 
very busy here, but we do work primarily on large animals. So cows, horses, pigs, sometimes sheep, and sometimes chickens. So we get a lot of diversity. We do work on dogs and cats, some here, but not as much because we mostly kind of focus on the, the egg industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's fun. Um, we, I get to work with all really great people, you know, the egg community here. So we, we work with ranchers a lot talking about their herd health needs and um, vaccine protocols or how to treat certain illnesses. And then my husband, Paul, who's the vet, um, he does a lot of what we call herd work. So preg checking cattle Mm -hmm. or giving them the proper vaccinations that they need. And then a lot of just treatment of illnesses. And right now a lot of calving calls. So, you know, Mm -hmm. problems with having babies. So, uh, it's really diverse. It's, you know, challenging too. And on days that we do work on small animals, my husband and I work in the clinic together and I kind of work as his veterinary assistant. So I keep our, keep our books, which is not that exciting, but it's a must do for our business. So I, I do all of our bookkeeping and then um, making sure we have all the proper inventory and tools we need to do our work. And then I also assist the hands-on part with um, the cats and dogs and cows and horses. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of diversity in my job and I get to do a lot of different things, which I really like. And you never know kind of what's going to come through the door next. So there's a good balance of things that are kind of mundane, like in every job. Um, and then there's a, the other half that, you know, um, requires a lot of problem solving skills and thinking quickly or getting to be really hands-on with animals, which is why I got into the business in the first place. So, awesome. so Whitney, bringing it back to the tail and tails, I'm wondering if you have any interesting or noteworthy stories with working with animals that you'd like to share as it is a tale about tails. Well, you know, there's always tales of when things go, um, wrong sort of with animals. <laughs> yeah. So usually, usually our, our exciting stories have to do with that because it means something escaped and, you know, like, uh, you're maybe chasing it through the giant stockyards parking lot, uh, you know, the funny, but glad that they're okay. Stories are when, you know, cows get wild and chase, our ranchers and we can see how fast they sprint and jump over fences. <laughs> I was going to say like in all of their gear, like running and sprinting yes. and jumping over fences. Yes. Right. Right. And everyone trying to get out of the way of the bad cow. Um, I think the most, you know, the most noteworthy things are, are when we get to use science and um, good medicine to save things, you know, it's really rewarding mm-hmm. or um, turn around someone's livelihood because Um, Paul, you know, our vet and I work together to figure out what problems they're having and address them with usually with lab testing and some stuff like that. And, and then maybe vaccine programs or, or treat, you know, treatment or prevention that, Mm -hmm. that ultimately improves their livelihood because it is a business um, Mm -hmm. for our ranchers. So the kind of craziest story I have is that about two weeks ago, we had a um, rancher bring a cow in that the cow had shoved itself between a hay bale and like the spears that go on like a hydraulic um, <gasps> flatbed, like a feed truck. Oh. And so it, it like got wedged between the hay bale and the, the little spear that pokes out between the bale bed feeder. And it, it, it like gashed its side. Paul, they called Paul and told him what happened. And he said, well, I don't, you know, I hate to tell you, but I just don't think she has like a very good chance of making it, but we yeah. can sure try. And mm-hmm. we're always willing to try. And so they brought her in and he said she had about an 18 inch gash in her diaphragm. Oh my and God. Like a, a big hole in her side from where this, you know, because of course, once she got caught, then she started she, kind of she like, tried to run away. Yeah, and, exactly. And, you know, or even more. So she, yeah, she had a, a very, um, <laughs> very serious injuries. And um, Paul stitched and stitched and stitched and gave her antibiotics and sent them on their way with the message that she probably wasn't going to make it. And lo and behold, a week later, he's out at the ranch and that cow is walking around doing fine. You just, you just never know. That's the fun thing. You, you never know what's going to happen here. And for better or worse, um, you know, we get to try to help animals and people with their livelihoods. So there you go. Well, we yeah. really appreciate you Whitney, And thanks again for taking a couple minutes to chat with us today.
So this is Danny, and I am here with Andy Ostrick. So Andy, can you tell us uh, what your job is here in, in the Lewistown, Central Montana area? So I am one of two wildlife biologists for the BLM uh, for the Lewistown Field Office. Nice. We, we did have the chance to listen to Matt earlier, so I'd really like you to kind of upstage him and keep a healthy dosage of competition within the BLM office, if that's okay. So where did you grow up? I was born and raised in Gardner, Montana. Um, did you live there most of your life or did you kind of move around or is that kind of your, your home like, stomping grounds? I lived there until uh, I was 20. Oh, wow. And then I even worked there um, on the fire crew and I was uh, right out of high school, but seasonally thereafter uh, till I moved up here in 06. Nice. I, I'm wondering if, if Yellowstone had a big influence on you uh, since you were so close to that area and possibly your career with animals. You know, the park was always there uh-huh. and it, literally just turned into the place to avoid growing up because <laughs> if you wanted to do anything outdoors that, that didn't involve a ton of people and traffic jams uh-huh. you did not recreate in the park uh it's not to say that there wasn't neat aspects about growing up next to the national park you know getting to go and see it's a way to teach the value aspect of uh wildlife and so i started that really young and um, I'm still trying to do that now. People protect values yep. and, you know, people get rid of issues. So trying to show value in what we have. How then did you end up in the central Montana area? What, what was the, the course of events that brought you to, to our neck of the woods? When I was in high school, uh, traveling for sports, a lot of times Lewistown was the overnight hub to wherever we were playing class C sports. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, Central Montana. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that halfway to everywhere, right? You know, it just started that it was a really neat area. I kind of liked the diversity and landscapes from breaks to mountains, prairie. I mean, we kind of have everything, mm -hmm. you know, it's within two hours drive from Lewistown, you can hunt mountain goats, uh, bighorn sheep, antelope, elk, deer, pheasants, grouse. I mean, it's just kind of all here. It's a, it's a pretty unique landscape. So you're here at the BLM. What does kind of a day in the life of Andy look like for you? What do you, what do you get to do with the BLM? Well, I'll pick a fun day. <laughs> Wanna, Matt was talking talk about, about how some days it's mostly dealing with people and paperwork. <laughs> so don't pick one of those I, days. Yeah, I'm not going to pick one of those days. Although I guess what I would say, or at least what I try to make every day into is taking a look at what we've got, all the different uses people use on public land, looking at how those uses are going to affect people's values. What, what do people value about our public lands? Wildlife management's pretty easy. We write papers on that all the time. Where we have the conflicts is when it comes to how do we manage everybody's different use on that ground. Uh -huh. So where I try to do it is, you know, not approach a management question as what is the, or what are the issues on wildlife, but rather what are the values that people have on the ground? Because usually if you boil stuff down, people want the same thing. They just have a different way to get there. And then trying to find where's the common ground we can all work on at that point so that nobody's value becomes an overarching issue for the project. And uh, if you figure out how to do that, let me know because I haven't figured it out yet. But... <laughs> You, you have to have an idea and a goal to have something created. So I like, I like that you have the idea and the goal and are working towards it. That's big. So I'm sure you've gotten to interact with a whole bunch of different animals and interesting things in your life. And I'm wondering if you have any interesting, noteworthy or crazy stories that you have um, working with animals. So part of being a wildlife biologist is 
on occasion, we get the opportunity to do captures. Uh, one example is we've captured pronghorn and we've put radio collars on them to track movements. We've done multiple captures for bighorn sheep. Matt and his graduate project, he captured elk. I mean, we've done a lot of different things. Uh -huh. And when you're, you're out there handling wildlife, it's a very matter of fact way of doing it. You're, you're focused on a task. Usually there's a bunch of you, you have one task to be real quick, get done and get down so you can reduce the amount of time you're handling the animal. You know, I always kind of think of it to the wildlife that we're capturing and working with, this has got to be like the biggest or the closest thing to like a alien abduction you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. You're hanging out just on your own doing nothing, you know, <laughs> eating some grass or just walking around and out of nowhere, this large mosquito comes flying over you and buzzes you. You obviously run because you don't know what else to do. Yeah, exactly. Fight or flight. <laughs> A net falls from the sky and you're tangled up. Some guy in a bright red suit jumps on you and ties your feet up, blindfolds you and sticks a thermometer in your mouth. You kind of like sitting there like, oh boy, this is the end. Oh, uh, this is the end. I don't know out, what's going on. Punches a hole in your ear and puts a tag in you and you're like, what, what's going on? <laughs> you know, they're drawing blood, pulling your teeth rolling you over putting ice packs in your armpits so you don't overheat when it's all said and done you know they've cataloged your dna they've taken samples they've aged you you know done all this stuff untie you let you go and you just got to be going back to your friends like you won't believe this this is oh my I gosh no guys you have no <laughs> idea is... what just happened to me <laughs> they're probably sitting in a straight jacket somewhere wherever we drop them off at wondering what the heck happened everybody's like don't go over to crazy ella she doesn't know what she's talking about you know it's definitely an interesting concept to think about it what they must be will be going through their head when this is all going on for sure <laughs> oh oh that's funny oh well i'm glad you guys can ponder those kinds of things as you're traveling around the area looking for animals little, i appreciate that i appreciate so. that thank you thank you for sharing that story with us there's so many different people that use this landscape with so many different ideas and we all value the resource and we need to remember that that's the common ground when we approach something. Yeah. And when we, when we approach it in that context, we can really come up with solutions that work for everyone. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Andy. I really appreciate your honesty and I've really appreciated this little interview. Okay, so let's introduce ourselves. What's your name? My name's Elliot. Elliot. <laughs> My name's Chloe. <laughs> Who am I? Mom! Mama! All right. Today we are going to talk about your guys' pet. What's your pet's name? Mittens. 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 What kind of animal is Mittens? A cat. A cat. She's a cat. Yeah. Where did you guys get Mittens? How did she come to our I house? I got the Yeah? Where was she born? Um, Aqua Grandpa's house. Yeah. In Aqua. where? What part? A kitty's belly. A kitty's belly. A barn. A barn. A barn. Yeah, she was born in the barn. She's a barn cat, huh? Uh huh. Now um, we got her. Yeah. So, what did we name our cat when we got her? Mittens. Mittens. Why'd you name her Mittens? Because because he's our cat. Oh, because he has white paws that look like mittens. Yeah. Mint Mint has Mint has a black a black thing all over her body and white thing all over her body too. Yeah, she's black fur with white paws, right? Yeah. And the triangle that's white and then her tummy and her chest is white. Yeah. So you you gave her a couple different names. Um, since we got her, since you first called her Mittens. What other names have we called Mittens? Socks. 
Kiki. Kiki, yeah. Yeah, we we called her all those names. Meow meow. Meow meow. Yeah. What's your favorite name for our cat? Um, meow meow. Socks. Socks. I have never heard you call her Socks before. He's are not... you going to now? Is that her new new name? Yeah. Brand new. So, what are some of your responsibilities with having a pet cat, Chloe? Um, water and feed it. Yeah. What? What, what else? And in this litter box. And in this right. litter box. That's right. That's it. I think we're done. Say bye. 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 Is that good? Hey guys, it's Brittany. Thank you for joining us for our Tales and Tales episode, our first official summer reading program event. Speaking of, we could not be more excited to bring you Tales and Tales, our 2021 summer reading program, starting Tuesday, June 1st, and running for six weeks until Saturday, July 10th. This year, we will be offering weekly kids programming for each age group, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. is STEM programming for middles, ages 6 through 12. Thursdays at 4 is teen time for our 13 and up patrons. Books and Babies, our story time for 0 to 2 year olds and their caregivers, will be Fridays at 10.30 a.m. And our pre-K kinder story time will be Saturdays at 11. Each program will offer stories, learning opportunities, crafts, and more all about the world of animals. We also offer a tracked reading program with reading goals and ideas and incentives to get you immersed in our library collection and excited about books. The summer reading program is always free to participate in and we encourage families to get in on the action together. Starting on Tuesday, June 1st, come into the library to sign up and receive a folder with information about all of our Tales and Tales events. Thank you to all our guests on this week's episode. Andy Ostrike, Katie Beattie, Mariah Schammel, Matt Comer, Whitney Brady, my kids, Chloe and Elliot, and Danny's little ones, Callum and Nels. You can find information about our guests' respective organizations in our show notes. Next time on In the Stacks, get your s'mores ready and don't turn out the lights because we are bringing you spooky campfire tales. Stories of ghosts, monsters, beasts, and villains of the most frightening variety. Be prepared to have your socks scared right off. As always, thank you for tuning in to In the Stacks. In the Stacks is produced by the staff at the Lewistown Public Library in Lewistown, Montana. Subscribe to In the Stacks on Spotify, Google, and all other major podcast platforms. Follow us at LPL Graham on Instagram or Lewistown Public Library on Facebook for the latest updates on library happenings, including the podcast. If you have an idea for an episode or a topic you would like us to explore, email us at lewistownpubliclibrary at gmail.com. Thank you for supporting the library. <laughs>